Let's stand tonight. Uh, let's open the Word of God. Let's open the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 14. It said, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight we need you. I pray that you'd meet with us in a special way as we open your word tonight. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and your power. Uh, Lord, that you'd uh, give me the words to say tonight, that you direct my mind and my heart. And Lord, that you'd work in us tonight. I pray, Father, Lord, you'd challenge us. Lord, I pray if there's one here tonight that's not saved, Lord, that you'd save them. And I pray, Lord, those who are here tonight that are saved, Lord, that you work in our hearts and our lives, Father. Uh, that you'd use this message, you'd use me, my family, to be a blessing. We thank you for this church, Lord, the blessing they've been to us, Lord, and the opportunity we have tonight to preach. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for salvation, eternal life. We thank you for your love and your mercy tonight. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is an interesting passage of Scripture as the Lord Jesus is addressing the church of the Laodiceans. And uh, this church was, no doubt, like many churches today, they thought they were fine. They thought everything was well. And uh, the Lord Jesus, as He's addressing the church, uh, He says there in verse number 17, He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And so it was a church that thought they were well. They had an appearance from the outside that everything was well. Uh, but the Lord sees things that, Everybody else doesn't see. He sees us as we are. He knows what we are. And the Lord Jesus, looking at the church, says, you think you're rich and increased with goods. But his description of this church is kind of shocking. Because he says of them, he said, Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now these are saved people. But the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to saved people, says that they're blind. And we may ask tonight, how can that be? Because we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, He opens our eyes. I'm reminded of the story in John chapter number 9. I love the story. The blind man's there and the Lord Jesus comes and He opens His eyes and the religious people begin to grill Him. And is it okay if I come down? Okay. The religious people began to grill Him. And beginning to ask him all these questions, and the blind man, he's, he's looking at these people, and they're asking him all these theological questions, and the, the blind man is like, look, I don't, I don't know, I haven't been to your schools, I haven't been to your seminaries. And finally he says, look, he says, one thing I know is where I was, I was blind, now I can see. And so they're accusing the Lord Jesus, and says, where is a marvelous thing? He says, you don't know where he's from, but he's opened my eyes. I can say this tonight, that whereas I was blind, now I can see. And the Lord Jesus Christ opened my eyes. We had a man come to our church on a Wednesday night. We're still meeting in Pastor Douglas's garage. 
And uh, a man came by, and his name was Douglas, and he came by and he was drunk. He was so drunk that we really couldn't talk with him. We tried to just uh, talk with him a little bit, but he, he was just drunk. He couldn't understand anything we were saying. We began to pray for Douglas Thursday night. We went by his house, and he wasn't there. His parents were there, and so we witnessed to them, and they trusted Christ as Savior. Uh, that night. We praised the Lord for that. And we went by the next Thursday night to try and talk to Douglas. And again, Douglas wasn't there. But we were praying and we were fasting for Douglas. Sunday morning, Douglas comes to church completely sober. And he began to explain to me what happened and I didn't understand it all. He was out at a bar the week before and he'd gotten stabbed in the arm with a knife. And he had to have stitches, and I guess he'd gotten stabbed in some other places. I really didn't understand all that happened. But what I did know is Douglas came to church completely sober. And so we said, could we come by and talk to you after the service, after lunch? And we did. We went by and sat down, and Douglas understood. We went through the gospel, very plain. And uh, finally we said, would you like to trust Christ as Savior? Would you like to be saved? He said, I would. And so Douglas prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And you know where he was Sunday night? He was at church, and he's been at church every service. We pray the Lord for the transformation of his life. Here's a man that was drunk, that was hooked on drugs, and that man has had his eyes open. And when Jesus Christ saves somebody, he opens their eyes. He takes somebody who's blind, and the the blind man in John chapter 9 said that. He said, never in the history of the world has it ever been heard that anyone had opened the eyes of the blind. When John the Baptist was having doubts, of whether Jesus Christ was the Messiah, he said, go back and tell John the things you've seen and heard. And I believe it's the first thing he mentioned was the eyes of the blind are open. Because that's an indication this is the Messiah. And if those Pharisees that day had understood that no one had ever opened the eyes of the blind, this has to be the Messiah. I'm glad Jesus Christ opened my eyes and gave me sight. I'm glad Jesus Christ saved my soul. I'm thankful that you, my, my children, Joshua and Rebecca, have a testimony that God opened their eyes. And Joshua, I've asked him, in our church we had a, a missions conference. I said, Joshua, would you like to come up and give your testimony of salvation? Four or five hundred people. He said, Daddy, I would. And so I said, Joshua, you want to come up? Yeah, he said, Daddy, I want to come up. He walked right up. He gave his testimony of salvation. I don't do him to that all the time because he's only 12. But if I asked him tonight, he'd come up and give his testimony of how he got saved. I'm glad Jesus Christ still opens the eyes of the blind. Then the question for us tonight is this. How can the Lord Jesus Christ look at this church and call them blind? And I believe tonight that we can see, but not see clearly. I remember I was in the fourth grade, and my mom uh, took me to the eye doctor. And she took me in and sat me down, and they put the things. For all of you who've been there, you know, they say better, best, this better, best. And so, hey, going through all the things and uh, checking my eyes. And uh, what I didn't realize, though, as a fourth grader, is that I was blind. I would sit in class, and I could hardly read what was on the board. When I finally went back to the eye doctor, and I got my glasses, and I don't know if any of you have ever been like this, but they gave me my glasses. I was like, whoa, can everybody see like this? Is it this clear for everybody? And I was excited. I mean, I had my glasses and they, you know, walking around and the kids made fun of me, but, you know, I really didn't care. I could see in class. I could sit in the back and the front. See, I wasn't blind and that I couldn't see, but there were things I couldn't see because my vision wasn't as good as everybody else's. 
And I believe tonight as we go through our Christian life, yes, we're saved, yes, we can see, but sometimes we lose focus of some things and we don't see them as clearly as God wants us to see them. And I would like to take just a few minutes tonight for us to refocus and ask ourselves if we see clearly tonight the things that God wants us to see. And I'd like for you to turn first of all to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. The prophet Isaiah had been preaching for several chapters. Chapter 6, he has a vision. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So he's been transported, he's seeing the Lord up in heaven, he's seeing these seraphims up there with their six wings, and they're flying around, and they're crying out in verse number three, and he cried one unto a, he cried, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. I believe tonight we need to refocus on who our God is. We serve a holy God. As we come back to America, one of the things, and uh, somebody asked me about our churches that support us, if they were changing. And the churches that support us really haven't changed a whole lot because they have the same pastor, and I praise the Lord for that. Now as I have children, we started out, we didn't have children. We'd go into this church and that church, but as now as we have children, I can't just go into any church. I remember we went to a church that uh, they support us, and we, we dropped in. They had a special service, and we dropped in. And uh, the congregational was fine. The, the special choir music was fine. But they got up some special music, and it was just complete rock music. My little girl sitting here, she says, Daddy, she says, is that bad music? I said, honey, that's bad. That's bad music. That's bad. It's horrible music. Horrible music. And my little girl's sitting there. Well, a few days later, my son's, and we're out in the car, and my son says, Daddy, he says, you know that church we were in that supports us, that has the bad music? I said, yes, Joshua. And he's only like five at the time. He said, I wish they didn't support us. I can't take my kids into just any church. Because we have a holy God, and I have to explain to my kids that our God is holy. And we need to see tonight that our God is holy. Yes, our God is love, but when they fly around in heaven, they're crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. This world tries to conform us and tries uh, today, uh, religion, it's about convenience. These churches, they have one service a week and then maybe come another service, have a small group over here and the, uh, the, their idea of God is completely foreign to the Word of God because our God is a holy God. One of the problems we have in Brazil is idolatry. Now, they wouldn't call it idolatry. They believe that these saints there, they don't worship the saint, but they pray to the saint. But they wouldn't call it idolatry. But can I tell you tonight, it's idolatry. And you walk into a store, and up on the store, they'll have a little place like you would have up here, and they would have an idol up there that watches over them, that protects them. And almost all the stores are going to have that idolatry. In America, that's foreign to us because we don't see that. But can I say this? We are guilty when we do not give our God 
the honor and the glory due unto His name who He is. Because our God is worthy. When we go into Romans chapter number 1, turn over there with me if you would. Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. In verse 19 it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, it says, Because that they, when they knew God, glorified Him not as God. It doesn't say they didn't glorify Him. You can go around today to churches across America, across the world, that glorify God, but not as God. Because today our worship isn't about God. It's about me, and about what I want, and about what I like. About the music that I like. I had a teenager one time when I was a youth pastor. He said, that music in the church, he says, like a funeral dirge. It's dead. Can I say this tonight? Romans chapter 8, to the spirit, to the carnal man, the spiritual things are death. And the reason we don't like, we don't like the music at church is because we're carnal. We want something that we like. We want something that moves us. Can I say this tonight? Church isn't about you. If it's about us, it's not church tonight. Church is about our God and who He is. I don't sing the songs tonight for you. The songs tonight aren't for me. The songs are for Him, the One who died for me, the One who loved me, that I want to worship Him because He is worthy. And you look in Romans chapter 1, the next part, it says, neither were thankful. But it starts out with not worshiping our God for who He is. Today people go to one church or another church based on what they like. But if you're going to church based on what you like, and can I say tonight, you're going for the wrong reasons. What I'm going to say that right now is this, that if I'm going to church because of what I like, am I really going to worship God? In Brazil, they don't have any problem with the little statues. We don't have the statues here. But we're just as guilty when we don't worship God for who He is. He is worthy of our best. He's worthy to be worshipped because He is holy. I believe tonight it would do us good to get a renewed vision of who our God is. I'm reminded of Moses as he came down off the mountain. God said, you need to get down. The people have corrupted themselves. He comes down. The people have made themselves naked. The people are using the music of the world. And they're coming down. And Moses comes down. And he's angry. Because he spent 40 days with God. But do you remember what Aaron said to him? He said, Moses, why does your wrath wax hot? Why are you so angry? I don't know if your pastor ever gets angry over sin. I bet he probably does. But you know, if we spend time in the Word of God and we spend time with God and we see God for who He is, sin breaks our heart. 
We're not comfortable with sin. Because our God is holy tonight. And we need a renewed vision of who God is. And how do we get that? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. We spend time in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts, showing us who our God is. Because our God is foreign to this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The outward man perisheth, but the inward man is renewed day by day. As we look into the perfect law of liberty and allow the Word of God to change us, to challenge us, and show us who our God is. A lot of people today upset over politics. All that they were is upset over sin. As they are over politics. We need a renewed vision of who our God is. Turn to Hebrews. You're there in Romans. Turn over to Hebrews chapter number 12. Quickly. Hebrews chapter 12. We need a renewed vision of our God. He is holy. He's worthy. We need a renewed vision of our Savior. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. The people here, the Hebrew Christians, if you go back to chapter 10, the people here were suffering persecution. They were contemplating going back under the law. If you look back in chapter 10, it says in verse 34, he says, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath a great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The people here were struggling. They were suffering. And so the author here of Hebrews begins to give them examples of faith, people who'd walked with God. And he goes back with Abraham and Noah and Enoch and all these men that were men of faith, that trusted in God, that walked with God, that were rewarded for their faith, for their walk with God. But he gets down toward the end of the chapter, and he says in verse number 35, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Tonight we need to have a renewed vision of who our Savior is. Because we are not better than He is. As an 18-year-old young man in Marine Corps boot camp, I bowed my knees and I surrendered my life to the Lord. There was no preacher. (laughs) I can't say that I grew up in a church that would have really invoked that. But as an 18-year-old man, I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I've never regretted it. I think of the the little boy there in John chapter 6. I love that story. I love preaching on that story. My kids are like, Dad, are you going to preach on that story again? I love that story. Because the little boy is there and Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's, he says, we need food. Here's a little boy who's got food. 
He's not in the back, you know, in the back playing with his friends. He's up there. Here's Jesus. He needs some food. And he's not thinking, I'm going to feed the multitude. He's not thinking about a miracle. He's thinking Jesus needs food. And so he gives his lunch to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but in his mind, he's just giving Jesus something to eat. Maybe Jesus is going to eat his food and he's not going to have any. But he gave it to Jesus. He had lunch. Jesus needs food. He gives his food to Jesus. And Jesus prays over the food. The little boy sits down right there. And he blesses the food and begins to pass it out. And here the little boy is thinking, I'm going to get some of my lunch here. He said, how much can I have? Five loaves and two fishes? And the disciple says, no, son, take as much as you want. Can you imagine as much as I want? Take as much as you want. And then after he eats that, he's still a little bit hungry. And the disciple, he says, can I have some more? He says, son, as much as you want. Can I say this tonight? When you give your life to Jesus, you're going to have as much as you want. I cannot today, the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for them that love him, but his spirit has revealed them unto us. As a young man, when I gave my life, Lord, I could not imagine what God would do with my life. A missionary in Brazil, impossible. Have two young children here that love God and a wife that loves God. I could not have imagined the things. But I'm going to tell you this. i got more than I want. And not only this, but heaven too. When that little boy stood up, my favorite part of the story, it's not in the Scripture, but I can just imagine that little boy standing up, looking at all the people eating his food and saying, that's my lunch. That's my lunch. He's saying, that's my lunch. All the women, the men, and they're all eating his lunch. Because one day we'll get to heaven, and I believe the Lord will say, that's your lunch. I love the story. It's told a uh, preacher there in England. End of his service, he asked, is there any testimonies? And one man stood up, he says, I'd just like to give a testimony of my salvation. He's, I was down in Australia, there on George Street, and as I was walking down the street, a short man came out and he gave me a track. He said, do you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? And then he left. He said, well, I read that track, it began to bother me, and I spoke to my friend, and I'm up getting saved. I got saved because of that man on George. How many of you heard this story before? A couple. And so that preacher, you know, that was a nice testimony. Well, he was at a, another meeting of uh, missionaries in India. And as he was eating with the leader of the missionaries, there was like 500 missionaries eating with the leader, and he's talking to that leader, and he says, tell me, how did you come to Christ? He says, well, you know, I was down on George Street down in Australia. And he says, I was part of a, a rich family. I was down there, and this man came out, short man, came out and gave me a track. He said, do you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? Read this track, and he left. And he said, later on, I read that track, and I got saved, and today I'm over all these missionaries. Well, he's at another conference down in the Caribbean with some other missionaries, and he told about these stories, and three missionaries came up and said, we got saved because of this man on George Street who gave us a track. And he, he went on about different people. And somebody would come up and say, you know what? I got saved because of a man on George Street. Well, finally, the preacher is down there in Australia, and he said, do you know of a man here who gives out tracks on George Street? And he said, I sure do. And so they went to meet this man on George Street. He was an old man. He really couldn't get out anymore. And he knocked on the door. He said, can I come and talk to you? And as he began to tell these stories, these testimonies, those tears began to stream down this man's face. He'd been giving out tracts for 40 years. And he'd never heard of anybody getting saved. But he went out day by day, giving out tracts. Can I say tonight 
that when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. And one day, when we get to heaven, I believe the Lord will say, this is your lunch, this is what your life meant. Everybody knows D.L. Moody, but Mr. Kimball, who went and led him to the Lord, he didn't preach to millions. But he'll have fruit from that. God may not have called you to be an evangelist to preach to millions, but He's called you to be a Sunday school teacher. Lee Robertson saved one to Christ by a Sunday school teacher. We need a better look at our Savior and the sacrifice that He gave because He's called us to be a part of that sacrifice and to preach that gospel that we might see fruit based on His sacrifice. The one thing that surprises me is I go from church to church and I preach and the Lord's given us an opportunity to be in a number of churches and preach in a number of churches is this, that there's still people sitting in our pews and our churches and our good independent fundamental Baptist churches who've never given their life to the Lord. They're saved. But they've never said, Lord, you can use my life. We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. You know, that little boy could have eaten his lunch. It would have fed him. But he decided to give it to Jesus. You can eat your lunch, or you can give it to Jesus. But you can't do both. You can't do both. When we get to heaven, we'll meet Peter and John, all the others up there. But you know, we'll meet a young man. Say, hey, were you in the Bible? He says, I was in the Bible. Who are you? I'm the lad. And you'll know who he is. Because one day he decided to give his lunch to Jesus. I believe we need a vision of God, who he is. He's holy, a vision of our Savior. And lastly tonight, turn if you would to Luke chapter 16 and we'll be done. Luke chapter 16. Verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass. The beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. People say to me, they say, how can you believe there's a hell if there's a God of love? But I have a better question than that. It's not how could a God of love send someone to hell, it's how could a God of love send His own Son to die on a cross for you and me. If there's no hell tonight, then the cross doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't make any sense for Jesus Christ to live on this earth, suffer, be tortured, and be put to death if there's no hell tonight. Hell is still real. And the only place we find out about hell is through the Word of God. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, talked about the new birth, Nicodemus didn't understand the new birth. He says, explain this to me. What does it mean to be born again? But you know in the Scriptures, no one ever asked Jesus to explain hell because they understood what it was. They understood it was real. They understood it was a real place where people go.
And I believe tonight we need a renewed vision of hell. Hell is why we go out. It's why we do VBS, these boys and girls. It's why we do camp. It's why we do missions. Because Jesus Christ paid the price to keep people out of an eternal hell. And it may be that you've not thought about hell in a while, but you've got loved ones, you've got co-workers, you've got friends, you've got neighbors who are lost tonight. And I just want to encourage you to pray for them. You say they're hard. I know they're hard. You've got family members. You say it's hard. It's hard to witness to family members. Can I beg you tonight to pray for them? We're in a hard city. This means we're going to have to pray a lot more and fast. Because if they die tonight, folks, they go into eternity. They may not have another week. They may not have another month. We may not have another week. We're not promised tomorrow. But we need a renewed vision tonight of hell. Hell is real. And we need to do all that we can to keep people out of hell. We need a renewed vision of who our God is. He's holy. Church is about Him. A renewed vision of our Savior. And a renewed vision of hell tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, tonight that You work in our hearts, Lord. We thank You for the attentiveness tonight. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that You work in hearts tonight the decisions would be made, Lord, to please you, that it would impact eternity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, how many can say tonight, Preacher, if I died tonight, I know for sure I'd go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Would you slip your hand up tonight? No, I'd go to heaven if I died tonight. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Is there someone here tonight, say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven, but I would like to know. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up tonight? Anybody like that? Not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Is there someone here tonight who say, Preacher, my vision's gotten a little bit cloudy. And I need a renewed vision of who God is, who my Savior, a renewed vision of hell. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's stand tonight as the piano plays. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, you come. You come.